Charles and Palma. This has been a banner week for music. Two of the best albums ever recorded released within days of each other by two of the bravest women in music. And uh, there's also a, a Brazilian guy that I just found out about. We're going to be talking about all that for you. Uh, so the new thing we're doing, this is a, a very expensive project uh, funded by the uh, U.S. military. $40. To, yeah, forty. they invested $40, which is uh, at least 10% of the U.S. military budget on creating a robot that can determine an objective score for how good an album is. They been bought trained on music. The, they bought Sputnik music. They bought uh, Pitchfork. Uh, they bought Condé Nast. They bought this it all. It. They, they bought it all. $40, man. Insane. This is the deep blue of music. Yeah, they made the algorithm just read every Pitchfork review a trillion times. It only had to read them once to get the gist of it, but they wanted to punish it by making it read it again and again and again. See, they could have saved a lot of money by just making it listen to or read the uh, uh, the uh, Cold Train review, the Live at the Village Vanguard. Do you want to guess uh, one of the albums we just talked about with Will earlier today? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I want to make Kat. that a recurring thing. Just. <laughs> That always comes back because it's just so funny to me. Gosh, <laughs> cat. God yeah, damn. That, that is like the high water mark for American music journalism, though. So basically, yeah, we got this, uh, you know, next level algorithm designed by the U.S. government. Um, some people say it's a neural network. Some people say it's a random number generator. Who could say? But um, it's going to give us the the real story on the Lana Del Rey album and the uh, Taylor Swift album. Then we're going to move on to a pick from Palma here. So what do we want to start with? We're going to feed it the Taylor Swift album. Okay. All right. It's just, it's listening to it at uh, 100 times speed and it's going to spit out a number. So it's going to take 30 minutes. And this number is objective, by the way. 4.2. 4.2. Oh, sounds about Fox. right. I'm not going to argue with that too much. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, that's, no, it's perfect. That's pretty disappointing. There, uh, I I thought it was a little better than that when I listened to it. I might have given it like a five, five or a six. But I, I, I think I understand why, um, why the algorithm would say what it did. You've got a song called Cruel Summer, which is already a very popular song. Which yeah, she should I, she should know about because she's making like '80s inspired music and she doesn't know about like uh, one of the biggest girl groups of the '80s, or maybe it's like a conscious reference to it. In which case, that's also weird. Well, what but was anyway, weird to me is I thought it was a conscious reference to Kanye West when he did the "Cruel Summer" like posse album, but then it doesn't like lyrically seem to have anything to do with that, right? But she clearly has to know that Kanye album. Because no, of no, like no, her no. beef with him. I think she, they've advised no. her to stop talking about that. But then she's, why would she make a, a very, very high-profile song that's exactly the name of his album? No, no. Okay. Here, here's my, my perspective on this. She's making a build reference to uh, Prospector 88's, uh, Twitter's very own Prospector 88's, a very famous and funny bit about next summer being nice and crisp and cool, like high 70s, uh, you know, highs in the 70s. Uh, lows in the 60s uh you know may- maybe you know maybe she's mufos with him maybe she's uh sending him uh you know ludes on 
on on DM. Who knows? Yeah, I'm on several here of these songs. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff about uh, I want to be your lot lizard. Uh, about <laughs> about the N word, saying the N word, cool POCs. Yeah, like I can say it. I'm allowed to say it. Woo. There's a three minute interlude where she's just like, it's just bong rip noises, and then uh, like, uh, just like a recording of her walking into a Dave and Buster's and sitting in front of a, like a, a racing game for five or you know, like thirty seconds, just like looking at the loading screen, not doing anything, eating food in the racing game. That's right, and then uh, three. <laughs> Three POC children uh, walk by and say she's uh, uh, this white bitch off that brick ass Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of the writing credits on the album are Taylor Swift, Jack Antonoff, and Prospector. So that's right. Jack Antonoff has uh, been getting too much work. I won't yeah, say he's, he's, uh, he's terrible, but I mean, does he really need to write all of every album? I know he thinks he's like a Max Martin kind of guy or something lately. But the thing is, Max Martin's smart, and he only writes like the two or three big hits per album. Jack Antonoff goes in there and writes a bunch of stinkers for him and just puts his name on everything, you know? Yeah, I'm sure he's getting his bag. But like at 140 in Cruel Summer, uh, it's basically the same as the Bird is the Word song from Family Guy. (laughs) (laughs) It just sounds... It's the same... uh, it's exactly the same as the Family Guy song. You can't tell me that Dr. Luke and Jack Antonoff are two separate people. Have you I seen think have Dr. You seen Luke him has in a it? better track record too, though. Like Dr. Luke's like Max Martin, where he only does the hits, right? Wait on the on the credits for Cruel Summer, uh, Annie Clark, like Saint Vincent, apparently has a writing Fuck credit on that. Off. What's the reason of that? Awful. I want to see. She's What's, good. I mean, I guess it's good. She rocks. She's getting work. Oh, I think she played guitar on it. There's yeah, a Dixie no, I, Chicks credit, which is, <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know about that. But that's all oh. That's all I have to say about that, really. It's like the whole thing blends together. There are a couple decent songs, but it feels like one long song. Yeah. Because it's all Jack Antonoff just like stretching himself really thin, writing uh, 12 songs in a row that have very similar hooks. It's yeah, a little exhausting. That's, that's my. Uh, According to Spotify, according to Spotify, this this album is an hour and a minute long, which is about an hour too long for what it is. Yeah, uh, <laughs> th- this sounds like it could be in like a Pottery Barn ad. Like it, it, it's completely like I'll f- forget about it tomorrow. I've already forgotten about it. That Carly Rae Jepsen album everyone liked that was like forty minutes. You gotta you gotta make it short. Yeah, that's that's the ideal uh, album length for almost any genre is like forty minutes. But uh, the fact that the our perfect objective algorithm gave this album a four point two makes it hard to disagree with that. Because uh, absolutely, the most positive thing I was gonna say is that it's less abrasive. It's like less actively abrasive than I expected. Because something like Katy Perry is just like grating and it's just like compressed to the wall and it's just unlistenable. This album is like listenable it's just boring and monotonous you know yeah it's like doctor's office music it's like okay i wouldn't be mad about like, hearing it if i hear hot or cold by Katy perry in the background of the doctor's office i'm uh canceling my appointment right then and there and leaving <laughs> yeah i mean listen okay Katy perry is like like french kissing uh like a car's exhaust pipe after you put a, a brake on the accelerator pedal uh 
but this album is more like slitting your wrists uh, and and like you know in the tub, you know, in, in, a, in a tub of warm water. You yeah, know what I mean? Nice. A little bit more pleasant, and we yeah. all want to do it. Absolutely, <laughs> we all want to listen it's, to it's it. It's cool. Yeah, and a lot of people have done it in Saudi Arabia. You know, uh, a lot of people have done it that have been associated with the Clintons. You know, it's cool. Do you think? Um, do you think that? I'm pretty sure we talked about this on one episode where um, Nicki Minaj was going to do a show in Saudi Arabia, but then canceled yes. when people told her not to. Do you think Taylor Swift would do a Saudi Arabia show? No, but she'd do a Tel Aviv show for sure. Ooh, good point. I, I agree with yeah, that. Take you have 100%. to be pretty yep. far left to be uh, responsive to like BDS and stuff. And she's not. She's like just inched over into uh, being pro-gay and stuff. Oh, Maybe in like 20 no. years, once Israel has been uh, nuked by Iran. She was a Christian <laughs> artist. You know, like her first album was Christian music. So I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised. What, Taylor Swift or Katy Perry? I know Katy Perry was. I think Taylor Swift. No, never mind. It was Katy it was, Perry. It was country. It was like fake country, sort of. She's yes. from like uh, the Philly suburbs. Her parents So here's dentists. the link. I mean, we're not going to like talk about the Lana Del Rey album yet, but uh, the link between the two of them is didn't both of their rich families just buy their way into careers, basically? Yes. Like Taylor Swift's uh, family like moved her to Nashville so that she could have that kind of like, you know, industry. She, she has that mythos of, of like, uh, oh, yeah, like a scout found me at, at a concert that I had when I was 14 years old. But yeah, like her family, her rich ass family moved to fucking to Nashville to like have that happen to engineer that yeah exactly yeah all right let's let's feed lana del rey norman fucking rockwell into the random number generator i can't believe they let you know they let her name that yeah you can't say the (laughs) yeah how obscene this is a 6.1 6.1 that seems about n-word n-word effing uh uh r-word yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't believe she would call it that. Damn, I, I can't yeah, believe it, like, they let her violate the terms of service like that. She's done for. Six point one. Yeah, that seems like maybe a little low. I was thinking like a seven. It has um a couple good songs like Venice Bitch is a, a decent song. The next best yeah. American record, which is one of the few not written by Jack Antonoff, is a great song. Um, but as, as a whole, it's like, it's kind of like the Taylor Swift album. A lot of it runs together. You have like four tracks in a row co-written by Jack Antonoff that just kind of yeah. run I together. I mean, nearly everything on there. But yeah, yeah Venice, he just, Venice he needs to calm down. The good part of that is just when it's more abstract and it's sort of like the little synthy tones and shit. Um, yeah, there's some cool sounds on there. What's funny, so, okay, a bunch of those early tracks on there, like Mariner's Apartment Complex and that one, uh, the guitar tones, and I mean this in, like, a nice way, the guitar tones sound like tones I've gotten by just DIing into Pro Tools and putting, like, the stock um, Avid <laughs> distortion on them. But, like, it's cool, you know? Like, I wouldn't be surprised if those guitars are DI'd because it is a very, like, ultra-digital-sounding distortion, but, like, it actually does work for the feel of those songs. There are a lot of reused titles in this one, too. Like, she's got Cinnamon Girl, How to Disappear, which is almost that Radiohead song. There's one just yeah, called California. Yeah, I was going to get at that, too. Like, I was thinking, like, I mean, clearly she thinks, like, she's trying to go for, like, a big thing. Like, oh, if I make a lot of references nonstop, it's going to be, for somehow that'll be significant, I guess, right? A pitchfork album. 
Just yeah, like, they, uh, yeah. They, I didn't actually finish reading their review, but it was extraordinarily unreadable from right from the top. Nine point four is just that's a little much. You got to have a little this, bit of scrutiny. Speaking of uh, speaking of music writing and music reviews, a thing happened uh, yesterday where Lana Del Rey replied to someone who gave her a positive review. Let me find that. What did she say? It was in NPR, and she replied to it saying, here's a little side note on your piece. I don't even relate to one observation you made about the music. There's nothing uncooked <laughs> about me. To write about me is nothing like it is to be with me. Never had God. a persona. Never uh, needed one. Never will. Dude, Which she is sucks. like Sock. That woman who wrote that review, like imagine being the person who has to write this review, and then you're nice, and then this person who has like 10 billion followers and stands who will kill you just replies to you like, well, the one sentence that wasn't positive about me, uh, fuck you. And then you just get a million messages saying, kill yourself. <laughs> like how, how I would hope, bad must, that's such a bad job to have. I hope the reviewer is like sane enough to understand that it doesn't matter and they'll all forget about it in a week. And it's just like, it's just posturing on Lana Del Rey's part. Lizzo did that too uh, a couple months ago, who I like, but it's just it's just so weird. Like that's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to reply to the review of you getting pissed in public. Yeah, once that's you're at so that not level, cool. How are you not over reading reviews about yourself? First of all, what are you doing reading reviews? Those, that shit is worthless. That is beyond like like who cares, man? Like you already put the album out. You know what I mean? Like you already got yeah. the advance. You're already getting. Like, you already recorded it. It's too late to change it. Like, you're not Kanye. You can't go on Tidal servers and be like, okay, I'm going to move like this little interlude like two seconds later so you can hear the sample a little better on the song previous. Like, uh, who cares, man? Like, that shit's it's done. It's done. Like, people liked it. Like, enough people liked it to where you're getting money anyway. Yeah, like, your I record label like already has that faith in you. Stop It's it. a mixture of, I mean, some of it's probably insecurity, but a lot of it is just, like, persona building and trying to appear a certain way to your fans or something. I don't know, man. Jesus. Um, yeah. Yeah. People might like that. Um, when people do that, a lot of stars have done that in the past. Like Billy Corgan would always do that. Yeah. Well, uh, he's a fucking fight with of a shit, music so. journalist. And like, I don't know if his fans appreciated Varg, that. Varg did that to Euronymous. Uh, he did. He was a uh, very nasty, very unfair <laughs> to Euronymous. Yeah. Nasty guy. Very nasty guy. Also, like, I think what's funny about um, Pitchfork trying to take this album seriously, like, okay, I could see taking this album seriously if you're like a 17 year old girl with no real problems. So you want to feel set. Like, it's, it's clear what had niche Keith it on here. When we had Keith on here, it makes me think of when he was talking about like the idea of like, it's not for me, right? Like, this music is for people younger than all of us, really. But um, I think the thing for me that sums up what kind of music she makes is I'm on the Wikipedia for the album, and this album has a Urban Outfitters exclusive album cover version. Come on! And that is, like, the most succinct way to sum up, like, who her audience is and what she's about, you know? God damn. Can you imagine, like, the, the indie band whose, like, release got pushed back three weeks just so, like, Rainbow Records could shit out that fucking thing? God damn. That's but sad. I, like... I see what the niche is of like if you live in like the suburbs, 
and you hate living there for good reasons, but you're like 17 and you go to the like fucking store and you get the Urban Outfitters version of this album, that's like definitely who it's aimed at, right? Uh, like that's, that's like, there's no shame in that because you're like a, you know, that's your thing if you're like a teenager. But what's, what's yeah, crazy that applies is like, to a lot of music, but you have to be like, you have to have a level of skepticism as a critic. Exactly. All right, so and not- the Pitchfork review is just like unbelievably shitty. Holy shit. Okay, so I'm not looking at tricks. I'm not looking at the uh, at the price for it on like new, but secondhand that that limited edition like cover uh, goes for seventy dollars. That's the cheapest one Jesus on Discogs. <laughs> Can you fucking imagine? Oh my god! <laughs> I've always wanted to meet the people who buy uh, like vinyl records, newly minted vinyl records of like uh, Led Zeppelin two or whatever. God. Damn. Yeah, like the no. remasters yeah. that come out the in the comic like store. $35 remasters. Yeah, it's use. so expensive. Or just like like a Rolling Stones album for mm-hmm. $59.99. Jeez, that's bleak. That's yeah, fucking bleak. Like just just print out the cover, I guess. Who, print who <laughs> does it out like on the, Inkjet and listen to it on Spotify. You'll save money. Yes. Yes. Uh like the record store day is another thing that fucking pisses me off so much. Just like just doing like a 7,000 record run of like a picture disc that is going to sound like shit. Cause it's, it's not even ma- like remastered or anything. And picture discs already sound like crap. Right. You're, you're buying these like, uh, I don't know, like Led Zeppelin uh, or, or Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon picture discs. The, yeah. the third one. Yeah. For the third, like uh record store day in a row, you're camping out outside. Like, I was going to say uh, Dimple around here. Like, there's this chain store around here, but they, they just closed. You're hanging around, like, the record store, like, the night before, camping out for that shit. Jesus Christ, Dude, man. The record store day started with, like, the best of intentions of, like, redirecting business to local stores. And it just quickly yeah. devolved into exactly what you're talking about, of, like, Linkin Park hybrid theory, uh, you know, vinyl issue of like 4,000 copies or whatever. Jesus. Yeah. Bizarre shit that doesn't need to exist, but. Uh, it, 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 it turned into vinyl, please, but in real life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's God only one damn. time that I've ever fallen for that, and it was the 50th anniversary re release of the Strawberry Fields Forever Penny Lane single. I paid That's like not too $40 bad, for it, and I felt like. It, the whole thing felt bad, but it's like the 50-year yeah. anniversary of like my favorite 7-inch that's ever been released. It's like, ah, oh, I have to do it, but I oh, shouldn't have done it. The funniest thing about it is that it's, it's record store day, and they're like, oh, yeah, these are like exclusives for like independent, like small-town record stores, like not for chains or whatever. But like half of the, half of the releases are from like Universal Records subsidiaries. Exactly. You know? yeah. So on the oh, front oh, end, you're you're kind of directing a portion of the revenue to local stores, which is still good no matter what it is. Absolutely. But then on the back end, you're directing it to the only three major labels that still exist. Like, uh, like looking at know. the sponsors on the website, and it's uh, Caroline, which is uh, it's a Universal Media subsidiary. Island, yeah. uh, Concord. Uh, I'm, I'm keeping like it's all the Orchard. A Republic Records, Polydor, so like Jesus Christ, man, just fucking ah, it, it it pisses me off so bad. I'm trying to think of what else I have to say about this Lana Del Rey. I have like at least some thoughts here. There's um, not that much to say oh, about it. 
Wait, no, here's something I wanted to say. The uh, Sublime cover of Doing Time. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. That track highlights how boring the rhythm sections are on the entire album because it's just like a pretty straightforward cover of that song. Like, they didn't really change the parts or anything. Like, obviously, it, it, it has, like, the vibe of the album because it's her, you know, vocals and, like, the same reverb they're using on the rest of the album. But, like... The fact that the rhythm section on that song is actually doing something just made me realize for the rest of the album that it's so fucking boring. It's just there. It, it doesn't like it, it, it. There's no. There's nothing. You know, it, it's literally just there. Like usually, like a rhythm section. Like the point is, okay, it's there to highlight, uh, like to serve as the backbone of the song. But here, it really is just laying there. It's on the chase line. It's, it's it's on the chase couch, <laughs> fucking a child. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely disgusting. I don't think they should be giving uh, Bradley Noel's family royalties. They don't deserve it. <laughs> Did you so? So I noticed this earlier on the Wikipedia that um, the songwriting credits for "Doing Time" are like out of control because <laughs> George Gershwin's on it because of the very original Ira Gershwin. Yeah, and then all the. Um, all the Beach Boys, or sorry, be, uh, all the Beastie Boys have writing credits because it's sampled <laughs> on the Sublime version. Then all the guys from Sublime have writing credits because it's their song. Jesus, and so Christ. there's just like this this crazy hodgepodge of people. It's like when you copy a VHS so many times that it just turns into static. Yeah, <laughs> that's how the song is too. Yeah, maybe I should sample this. <laughs> Goddamn, keep adding levers. Imagine like, all the all the sync people are like already like because of all the sampling going on like they're already just like on the ropes. Im- imagine you sampling this on. Uh, Actually, they'd um, probably give him an aneurysm. Alex, earlier when you were saying how many songs are referential to other bands, just go in an order here. Doing time, obviously the Sublime song, Love Song, The Cure did a song called that. Cinnamon Girl, that's the Neil Young song. How to Disappear, Radiohead. Then I got to assume California, that's got to be Red Hot Chili Peppers right there. Absolutely. Or the OC theme song. Yeah. <laughs> Happiness is a Butterfly. Uh, Beatles. That's, uh, it's like, yeah, like it's like it's that. It's half Beatles, plus, and then um, you got like Weezer Butterfly. To Pimp a yeah. Butterfly. Ooh, yeah, there you go. <sighs> it's just not like, you got to get some better imagery. Too. One of the songs begins by referencing Father John Misty, too, and it's like, come on, man. Fucking goddamn. Like, sh- also, her fucking. Uh, you, you might as well just song suck titles are like dick. You might as well just like be on your knees in the front of the headquarters. She <laughs> swears like the way that Chuck Wendig swears on Twitter, <laughs> where it's like cuckoo fucking banana pants. I mean Norman fucking Rockwell, Venice bitch. You know, it's just like it's almost like she doesn't know how to swear. It's very weird to me. Yeah, fuck it's like it, she's I never listened you. to Ludacris before. <laughs> yeah, kind of weird. I, is that supposed to be like a? Is it supposed to subvert the 60s theme that she has cusses? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't say, dude. It's just a, like a, a very clunky aesthetic. That... I think it's fitting that it's a 60s theme because there's no POC in any of the credits. That might be true. I'm, I'm looking on it on Wikipedia. Like, not even like the technical stuff. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Varg would love this. Jack Antonoff <laughs> is taking so many jobs from POC. That's right. He's taking all the jobs away from Lizzo. (laughs) Paul was going to cancel him here by making allegations about him. I'm sure Jack Antonoff, he raped uh, a bunch of women with his fucked up uh, penis, uh, which is shaped like a a, a dog clit. 
Yeah, any and, journalists uh, who want to follow up on this story, you can get in touch with Palma. Uh, uh, yeah, follow Sweet me Palma. at Sweet Palma, but the L in Palma is an uppercase I because uh, some uh, <laughs> oh, disgusting idiot that. stole that from uh, <laughs> from me. Uh, some Twitter account that had never tweeted before, doesn't have any faves, doesn't follow anyone, isn't followed by anybody, uh, but has been on Twitter since uh, 2014. So, uh, it's Brian De Palma. That's right. It's probably him. All right. So in summary, there, Lana Del Rey, uh, six point one. Okay. okay. It's okay. The algorithm doesn't lie. The algorithm was pretty much spot on on both of these ones so far. Yeah. Um, not bad. But I want to know for this next album where the algorithm's going to take us because uh, this is something Palma that you just Perfect introduced us to 10. earlier today. Perfect ten. Don't even fucking Dude, ask that. Worthless machine. A, Forty dollars. Fuck that. Yeah, I want to say time. I want to get on the record before we get the the objectively perfect score from the algorithm, but um, I feel like this album fucking kicks ass, dude. I think I only sent you the first volume because he put out. You like, did so another. Yeah, what we're talking I about listened here, to both of them. Mm-hmm. I'm 51 minutes into volumes one and two. Yes. There's a secret third volume that I think you might have already found, but have, I don't think you've listened to it yet. So it's, it's, really ca- uh, it's, it's Tim Maya, and the albums are called Racional, right? Yes. So, so the, the rational culture uh, element of this is insane. Like, th- these two albums are fucking bonkers. Like, both of them are insane. Wait, before uh, we story- get into it, we got to get the score yeah. from the algorithm here. Let's, let's run the machine and see what we got. Yes. Nine point Really? All right. Damn, what the hell? Highest we've it's seen given so us far. everything we want. Yeah. Hell yeah. This was manufactured in Brazil, by the way. Yes. Yeah. So Chimaya, <laughs> Chimaya is a Brazilian artist, um, like very popular in the late '60s, or like very late '60s, early '70s, uh, as well as in the '80s. Like he's like the guy. Like, if you ask any Brazilian about Chimaya, like, they'll be like, oh, like, where'd you hear about him? Like, he's, like, incredibly popular there. Still is. He's been dead for, like, 20 years now, and he's still, like, incredibly popular. I saw that. Yeah, he, like, died in his 50s. Yeah, he's, like, this fat old man, like, who looks like absolute shit, you know? But he's he's incredible, like, incredibly charismatic, incredibly cool, uh, an incredible way with words and music. He's insane. Um, And at the very height of his popularity in, like, 1973, 1974... Um, he was given by RCA Brazil, like an unprecedented opportunity. They bought, they gave him a contract for a double LP, which is, was insane at the time. Like even like, even around the world, like a double LP, like what the fuck insane. So he goes into the studio and records, um, records like most of the music, uh, puts down like all the stems, all the, like all the, all the instrumentals and all that. And uh, by the time it's time to do the, like the uh, the lyrics, he'd gotten involved with this cult, which is was also insane. Like they believed in in what's called this rational, like they believe that this world that we live in is an irrational world, right? And what that basically means is they're not wrong. Yeah, I mean they're not. Yeah, fucking hell world, man. Fucking the hell site, the Twitter hell site. Gritty, gritty. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Like they're they're just as crazy as the gritty people. But um they followed this 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 guy called uh Mr. Manuel 
uh, Sarah Manuel, and uh, what he said was basically like these aliens were transmitting a one thousand volume uh, text to to him, dictating it to his mind, and he was dictating it to other people. Uh, wherein the main thesis was like we live in a copy of uh, another Earth. Like there's another rational copy of us. We are irrational. In order to become rational. <laughs> And become like a rational person. You have to give up weed. You have to give up alcohol. You have to give up cocaine. Uh, give up sex, and all all that shit that uh, Tim I was at the time was like super into. Like he was. Uh, there's stories of him just like, uh, like going on week long benders, like getting like getting gigs in all these places and never showing up, just like blowing shit off like it's nothing. Yeah, so it makes sense. Like he actually needed that message. It just came from like a cult rather than uh, something yeah. that was grounded. Did right? he stop like, doing that though? Yes, he did. Like it's he had his old band like dressed in all white because your like, your rational beings were supposed to be dressed in all white because any other color is irrational, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and like they, they'd show up to like to gigs and shit dressed in all white, like in these freaky t-shirts and white pants. He lost, like, a ton of weight. He, like, trimmed his beard. Like, he looked good. He was having, like, a good time. But just, like, like all the lyrics, like, when you look into them, it, it sounds absolutely fucking bonkers. Yeah, that's what's funny. Because it is. So when I was listening to it, and there's those weird spoken word interludes, uh, like, the first ones that were in Portuguese, I was going to be like, mm-hmm. oh, I got to ask Palma, like, what this is about. Then you get to the mm-hmm. end of the album and it's in English and it's just like, read the book. You need to yes. read the book. Yes. It's like Sun Ra. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, totally. You're right. I didn't think of that earlier, but you're totally right. It is kind of Sun Ra. The English is, is, has two purposes. First of all, uh, Chim Maia was one of the first like funk artists in Brazil. Before that, it was mostly like Samba, Bossa Nova. Uh, like, yeah. There was a... There was a little period where they had this thing called Tropicalia, which uh, kind of sure. ate uh, like a lot Los of stuff. Mutantes from. and shit. Does that tie? Los Mutantes, yeah, and uh, Gilberto Gil and a couple others who were like super into British invasion stuff. That yeah. was kind of the sound that they were going for. Dude, those but are a lot of artists I'm familiar with. So I was gonna say that this kind of like tied into that for sure. Yeah. Well, yes, and and uh, and Tim Maya was very much involved with that as well. Like early on, he arranged a lot of this stuff for. Uh, uh, Roberto Carlos, who's like the most popular Brazilian artist of all time, he was like his best friend since childhood. Uh, but cool. Tumaya went to the States, and that's like where he got a lot of the funk from. Was he he lied to his parents? He said he was gonna like work. He had like a work thing, right? That's the lie he told his parents. And um, he went off to New York with literally like ten dollars in his pocket. Uh, like crashed at some some acquaintance's house. Uh, like for a little while, and then uh, this, he got deported because he like stole cars for a living. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he's he was like fucked up. So they they sent him back to Brazil, and uh, at, at the time, like he wasn't like that sound wasn't popular at all. Like people were like into Bossa Nova, like ride or die. Like if it's anything else than Bossa, like other than Bossa Nova, and it shows. Like his first couple albums, there's no bass. Because the studios at the time, like the engineers, weren't used to recording that. They didn't oh, know wow. how to record. Like a, yeah, his album from 1970, like it's been remastered from from the original tapes, so it sounds better. But like the original, um, like there's no thump to the bass like on the original recording. Uh, like it, it, that that sound that he was looking for, that uh, kind of James Brownie 
Donny Hathaway uh, sound it did not exist in Brazil at the time. Like he had to teach, he had to engineer his own recordings and teach like his engineers how to record that, how to mic for like uh, for for a big drum set, like for the sound for sure. he wanted. Dude, like yeah. speaking of like the funk thing on the second mm-hmm. like real song that isn't a weird spoken word, uh, you know, demand that you yeah. buy the book, um, like Balm Senso or whatever. The guitar mm-hmm. tone is just exactly Isley Brothers, like that lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent stole that guitar tone. Absolutely. I, I, by the way, like if if you're at all interested in any of this, there's this really good. The only good thirty-three and a third book. Is about Timaya <laughs> Timaya Rationale volumes one and two, and cool. the, uh, the guy who who wrote it, Alan Thayer, goes into like extreme detail regarding like when each song was recorded, uh, like with which people and like w- what the like what each song means, like a complete breakdown. It's it's incredible and really good. Cool, you do that yeah. first song on the album really sold me right away. Like all the flutes mm-hmm. are super badass. I love like the really droney organ on it. Like. Mm-hmm. It's all uh, super the way, cool, man. It's right in my alley. Hell yeah. Like the, the first two albums are kind of bookended by that com- like composition. Uh, there's oh. another, yeah, on the second volume, there's a more like funky and upbeat version of that. It's not quite as, as dirgy and, 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 uh, and sad sounding as the first one. And I think, I believe it's in the same key. I need to like look at, listen back to it, but it's, it's still incredibly good. Yeah. Uh, like since like, I prefer volume two because it's just like a little bit more meat on the bone. But oh, uh, so you're trying to give yeah. us the bad shit out here. You didn't want to share the really, good shit. I mean, volume one has like at least the version on Spotify. Volume two is missing a lot of the interludes. So for volume two, they just like replaced or, or didn't include any of the interludes. But on uh, oh, volume one. Yeah, like if you want to get the whole experience, you got to listen to volume one. Yeah, I feel you. You're right. Because the interludes were like a a defining mm-hmm. part of the album of just like, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah. It basically means, uh, read the book universe and disenchantment. Uh, you know, read yeah. it. You'll know what, what enchantment is. That's literally all then, you need to like, by the time yeah. I looked that up and figured out what was going on here, then that like, uh, the second to last, like real song on the album is just the name of that book. Yes. Yeah. It, it I, I can't believe like, can you imagine like being in that, in that room? Like, when he like went to uh, RCA executives and went like, yeah, uh, I, I have this, you know, that album I'm recording for you, like that double LP uh, that's almost done. And I only need to record vocals for, uh, so these are the vocals I want. And it's all about this fucked up book about how <laughs> like, there's another copy of yourself in another earth. <laughs> can you imagine, can you imagine being like the, the, the just like the government worker who's like censoring all these, uh, all these songs and being like, yeah, I can't even fucking tell what these are about. I'm not sure if these are like communist, you know, communist crap yeah, or, yeah. or like just <laughs> if he's like legitimately crazy. For sure. Like I actually feel worse though for uh, his bandmates just having yes. to be like, so what the fuck is all this shit? Like, what are yeah, you trying to like implicate us in? <laughs> the book kind of like goes into it a little bit more in, in more detail, but they were basically all kind of into it for the first, you know, like, six months you know like they were all at least for six months they were drinking or like uh, doing drugs or anything but yeah eventually they were all like yeah no like this this is like way too much like this guy has to snap out of it and he did lose a couple of his band members because 
you know, like they found other work with other band leaders that weren't like insisting on them wearing a kooky ass t-shirt and like yeah. not drinking <laughs> and not having sex. Like what the fuck? Yeah. I'm trying to imagine like a 2019 version of this. Uh, you insist that all the band members wear the like auto generated, uh, like data mining t-shirts <laughs> um, and you know, just a bunch of. Our yeah, band leader kinda... was born in September and he's a Virgo. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, if you drink within a hundred feet of him, he'll fucking kill you. And yes, he got me this shirt. Yeah. This philosophy yeah, kind of reminds me of that account. That's like the Hillary white house. It's like an alternate <laughs> universe where we're rational. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I think that would yes. be the modern version of that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, we need a singer today who dresses like Hillary Clinton. Oh, I'm actually I'm just describing uh, the woman from SNL who sang uh, "Hallelujah" after she lost the election. Oh my god, that was vile. God, that's so embarrassing. I don't even. I actually I don't want to think about it because it's too embarrassing. Like, it's so. They had Trump on their show. I know. They had him host it during the election. It's too sad to think about. How do you, like, oh, God, the mentality of everyone on that show to allow that to be, like, a weird cold open is just so embarrassing. Yeah, that's Oh, sucks. Jesus Christ. Can you imagine, like, still being, like, right? Like, being a writer for that show still. Like, having been through the writer's room when that happened and then still being there. Can you imagine how fucking, like, your soul is like a, it, it, it's like a, like a wart, you know, after it's been, like, hit with those, like liquid nitrogen, like freezer uh, pans. You know I what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah just like Kyle and... Mooney. Yes, I'm talking about Kyle Mooney, man. He must be probably not feeling Such too disappointing. good. Man, I imagine that, all the bomb ass um, hair on their tail. The reason, the reason you stay there is that like the the show is so connected to so many people that you feel like it's your ticket to somewhere else, even though you probably know it sucks at this point. I think that like you're like well if I do this for like two three years I can move on like Stephen Colbert mm-hmm. or something right like he did SNL writing for like one or two years and then just moved on and he ended up in a nice place for a while and now, and he, now he's he in hell again, again. <laughs> yeah why but does like, he do what he does dude I have I that's actually so bewildering to me because he's actually a genuinely like smart person and he's funny he's really quick. I don't know why the fuck his show is pure garbage now. Man. It's it's weird that like that's how that that's how that level of showbiz works where you have like a weekly show. And then if that's good enough, you get to do a daily show and then you get to like, just do, you get to work every day until you die doing the worst shit ever. Like, why is that? Yeah, you're doing your worst material at a really fast clip. Yeah. I, I don't know why you would want that. He's getting it all out of, out of his system. You know, it's fucking props to him, man. He's getting his, his money. He's, he's caking up, whatever. I'm done hating. Yeah. I'm being nice now. <laughs> At least he's not, uh, he doesn't complain about it like Conan O'Brien. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, Palma, if anyone needs to start being nice, it's you. You got to stop getting banned. What? Maybe if you were nice, you wouldn't have a name that's P A capital I N A. Paima. Yeah, no. Paima. <laughs> Paima. That's your name now. Yeah. Well, yeah. You don't have to rub it in. <laughs> Dude, so Palma, me and Alex were both kind of wondering, like, you, you're very good from? at... No, no, no. I was going to oh. say you're, you're very good at unearthing um, 
all kinds of different music. Um, I know you're a big fan of like Numero Group, so I don't know if you find a lot of stuff through Numero Group or if you're like into, like what, where do you uh, find shit like this, you know? So I, fo- I follow a lot of uh, the DJs that run reissue labels and, and their A&R as well. And a lot of them, what they do is uh, like they'll post stuff from their collections that isn't really water known and really isn't slated for reissue. And like that's part of it. Another part is I, I've made good friends with some vinyl dealers on uh, on certain private music trackers who will uh, upload like very good sounding rips of very rare albums. Awesome. So, man. Yeah, that, that's that's really cool. Like, and it's only like you know a couple hundred people that are really aware of that, and that even seems like a really big estimate. I'd, I'd put it down to like a couple dozen rather than a hundred, couple hundred. Yeah, it's just um, a little niche community. Yeah, incredibly niche. And uh, yeah, but the, the, the way that I really find out about a lot of this stuff is through, uh, yeah, like following like A&R and, and like diggers on Instagram. There's a, there's a guy called Greg Kaz who's really into the Brazilian stuff. And so if you follow cool. him, the, the real Greg Kaz, he'll, he'll have a, you know, like a, 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 he'll document uh, his favorites from his collection, which is actually really big. And he, I think he helped out with a lot of uh, like sampling for he's boys with uh, what's his name uh, with Madlib. Madlib's oh, also cool. really good in his own. That right. makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, Madlib is like a, you know, legendary crate digger of just all kinds of fucking. Yeah. Cool Madlib's shit. another good follow is Madlib's uh, tour manager, Madlib and Freddie Gibbs tour manager, uh, Ethan Alipat. He cool. runs uh, Now Again Records, and they have more of like an African, uh, you know, like a, they have more of an African niche than, you know, uh, Far Out, which is a really good Brazilian, you know, dominated record label. But yeah, uh, there's also Analog Africa, which is really, really good. Um, Ostinato Records is one that I'm actually working with. Uh, oh, sweet. Yeah, so... So I have this little, I, I don't want to like blow it up too big because it's, it's really in the beginning stages, but I'm working with uh, the guy from Ostinato to, um, to release like a compilation of Salvadoran uh, funk and soul from the 60s and 70s. So awesome. That's awesome. So yeah, it, it's in the beginning stages and it'll probably be, be done in like a year or two uh, from Dude, now. If that comes together, then you'll have to come back on here and plug it, you know? Yeah, remind yeah. us to promote it. Absolutely. Yeah, I... The guy from from uh, Austin Auto Records is has already been. Uh, it has a higher profile in terms of like uh, prestige, if only because they've uh, they've been nominated a couple times for Grammys. They did a compilation of Somali um, music from the '60s and '70s, from before the war, and uh, they they did like Sudanese pop from whatever. You know, they're all over the place. So I'm I'm very happy to be working with them. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Mm-hmm. That's a fascinating time in music when like uh, records yeah. started spreading and it, it took on like the characteristics of all the cultures that it entered. Absolutely, yeah. It, it, a lot of it has to do with uh, you know American Empire for one, but uh, but on the other hand, it, it, it it's a good way to get involved or, or get started on you know like a local scene. You know, it, it's something that kind of sounds kind of American and kind of local at the same time. Uh, and a lot of these artists, if they're worth the, their salt, they're, they're going to uh, 
they're going to imbue that American music with a little bit of their local sound, you know, and they'll have heroes or they'll have their own idols and their own local influence that'll, uh, you know, that's a good starting point, at least uh, explore more of the local scene. Absolutely. I mean, music is essentially the same thing as like food where the history of like colonialism and imperialism um, can, can almost be like uh, rectified through culture like that, where, you know, like, I don't know, you know, the French needed to bring the baguette to Vietnam in order to make the banh mi. And it's a way of like reckoning with like, yeah, the French fucking suck ass for that. But uh, as someone living in the contemporary day, the best thing you can do is just work with those, you know, ingredients and create something new and, Enjoy that, that actually speaks brother. to the local yeah. culture, but moves on. That makes yeah. the colonizers mad too. It's uh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Who was <laughs> it that right. was? Uh, I think it was Rod Dreher that was getting oh, mad God, yeah. at like um, I forget what it's. It, I, what is the name of it when uh, Christianity is like melded into local indigenous religious traditions? Uh, heresy. Forget the <laughs> <laughs> heresy. Uh, <laughs> no, I forget the yeah. exact word for it, but like, yeah, like keep doing that. It makes National Review guys mad. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. That's just the natural guys way that, are like, like, culture evolves anyway, you know? Yeah, so, uh, there's going to be, like, an, uh, a National Review uh, pitchfork uh, crossover where it's, like, a, a white guy, like, moaning about, uh, yeah, like, uh, like Argentinians are, are stealing Lana Del Rey's sound. It fucking sucks, <laughs> but... Yeah, cons- uh, National Review would like Lana Del Rey, though, because she uses so many American flags and relies so heavily on boring, overwrought, like, cliche American tropes. So. God, they'd be so mad with a, with an Ariana Grande, Lana Del Rey doubleheader concert. Because uh, <laughs> uh, one of those is POC now. They, they parlayed their, their wealth into being POC. Being, yeah, like Peter Dow when he decided that being Lebanese <laughs> made him a POC when he was, like, 50. He's Hell good yeah. now. Yeah, he's great. We stand Peter Dow. Ah, anyway, uh, putting a cap on that Tim Maya discussion, um, in, in like 1976, about a couple of years after he'd gotten involved with the cult, he very suddenly, uh, and there's a couple of reasons uh, why, but he very suddenly just like left the cult, like completely cut off contact. Uh, previously, he'd actually donated all his instruments to the cult. And uh, a lot of the proceeds from his RCA advance, which is about 100, no, 300,000 uh, Brazilian uh, reais, uh, reals, I guess, uh, were, they were all gone. So he's like completely penniless. And because of his, you know, his, his, pro- his propensity for, you know, shrugging off big commitments like big concerts and, and you know, like recording deadlines, like nobody really wanted to record them anymore. So you had to actually make another album, like another couple albums on spec and like going further into debt to, yeah. in order to like rehabilitate his image. Yeah. Kinda. And uh, officially there's only two rational volumes until very recently. There were only two volumes. Um, the reason why is because, you know, he was recording all over the place on credit uh, you know, RCA Studio, Studio Hawaii. Like he'd been run out of Rio de Janeiro, like all the studios, and he actually had to go to Sao Paulo uh, and record, uh, you know, even more stuff in order to, you know, uh, get rid of 
in order to keep recording because all the studios in Rio de Janeiro were all you know fed up with them not paying sure. them yeah or, or like recording on credits and so he did that a couple of times in, in Sao Paulo and the studios in Sao Paulo what they did was okay if, if you're not going to pay me then uh, for these recordings then we'll, we'll just keep the tapes you know like until you pay us and uh, when he left the the cult in, in 1976 he made such a clean break that never paid for that recording anyway. <laughs> so there's another volume that was very recently unearthed a couple of years ago, uh, which sounds super good. Like I don't know if you realize, but the, the fidelity on volumes one and two sound like sound like shit. I mean, it's, I'll be honest. Like the fidelity wise, there's a lot to be desired, and that's because it's it's all recovered from vinyl records. Um, For sure. I mean, I think it sounded pretty decent, though. Like, it wasn't, like, there's much worse sounding stuff from, like, the 60s. Sure, but it, it's not it's not as good as it could sound. You know what I mean? For sure, so, yeah. And the reason why is because, it, again, he made such a clean break, he destroyed all the masters. He, he okay. put them all in a box and, and, and literally just, you know, doused them in gasoline and forgot about them. Um, and so Volume 3 is sounds incredibly clean, like they could remaster it. Yeah, they got his his uh, like one of his arrangers to uh, to to make a string arrangement for it, and then uh, I think they they put it out in two thousand six, and it sounds like it was recorded yesterday. It was it sounds incredible. Cool. I'm gonna have to check that out yeah. too. Then, mm-hmm. what if it was uh, Tom Maya, and he forbade his band from having bong hit transplants? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. I guess. Yeah, in he the did. Sense. It really makes uh, you think. Really makes you think. Uh, yeah, but goddamn, I love that guy so much. Like all his records are great, front to back. Yeah, I'm you glad I found not... out about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I've other been about him a lot. We, like, what are the what are your other uh, albums that are like his top albums to you? Uh, number one, Tim Maya Disco Club. Uh, the version on Spotify, uh, at least in the U.S., the first four songs, which are the best. Uh, are blocked in American Spotify, oh, so sure. which sucks. But if you can find a torrent of that, please listen to that. That's incredibly good. After that, it's uh, 1973. All his albums are self-titled, aside from the like in the 70s, like they were all self-titled. So okay, uh, they're usually referred to by the year they were released because he usually did like one a year. So 1973 is his next best, uh, and then uh, Tim Maya 1980, like that one's fucking great great disco album great aor vibes on most of the tracks that aren't disco sweet yeah he's like yeah he's a great like ballad singer like i generally don't listen to ballads i don't really like it uh like the sound the the crooning it's just so treacly sweet i hate it but uh for him i make an exception so the you know this was like a weird first episode to do with the algorithm bit because it kind of gave us exactly what we wanted. What do you mean bit? Shit. Ooh, no, by bit, I mean objective, real thing that's not Absolutely. a random number generator. The real robot we have. Yeah, Mr. $40. Mr. $40. I can't believe it got... It, I, I, I had my my uh, you know my, my misgivings about it, but it, it was actually pretty good considering it's just a robot. It's one of the smartest robots of all time. It's better than those stupid dogs that try to jump up the <laughs> stairs and fucking fall on their ass like a dope. 
getting shot in the street like a dog from hell. Oh, I would love to give the old yeller treatment to those robotic dogs. Put it in a cage (laughs) and shake it around. Crucify it and light it on fire. (laughs) Put them in the back of a truck just uh, and then throw it out while it's moving. 50 miles an hour. Fuck that thing. Oh, I hate those stupid robot dogs. They're designed to have their ass kicked. They're useless. the point of them. Just beat the shit out of them. They don't do anything but get their asses kicked. Chain them to a wall. I'm sick of it. They're losers. They're worse than pit bulls. They are living in hell. I'm going to put them in another one. In another hell. They need to go (laughs) bye-bye. They simply can't get enough of that hell. You got to love it. All right, Palma, you got any closing thoughts here on the Tim Maia stuff? Uh, Yeah, just uh, it's incredible that such a great artist could be so incredibly unknown in America. You know, it it seems like he's up a lot of alleys in the States uh, from AOR, disco, funk, soul. Uh, you know, even if you don't know the the language, uh, he, like I taught myself, I have effectively taught myself uh, po- Portuguese through listening to Tim Maia. Like, so now you know how to tell people to read the book. Yeah, Leo Livro, the uh, Desencanto, something like that. I was wondering uh, why he uh, kept saying Leia. And it, yeah. like the, the name of the album is Star Rational. Wars. So it's like, yeah, Star is he talking Wars about Star album. Wars? There's like a Blink-182 song about Princess Leia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, it, it's all about reading the book. It, it, this is really what the it Star is. Star novelization. These, here's the funny thing. They, they didn't get, because they were no longer with RCA, he released these albums independently. That means that he and his band members went door to door selling this shit. Uh, and I believe <laughs> they, used, they used to sell like the album and it, it came with the book. So you were really Jeez. buying the book and it came with the album. This was the biggest pop star in Brazil in like the early 70s. Imagine like having uh, fucking Kesha coming over to your door, uh, like dressed in like a zoot suit and like giving you a book and then like a vinyl copy of her album or like a, a thumb drive with her album on it that was about the book. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah, that's great, dude. Oh my God. Cool. Well, thanks for stopping by, Palma. Thanks, brother. Hell yeah. My, my pleasure. For sure. We'll see you again sometime, I'm sure. And uh, I got yes. a new song to play us out, so let's just play the song. Play that shit. Let's go. Sights in the night. 